I'm Chuck Smeaton from the Royal Institution of Australia, and this is the Cosmos Briefing Podcast. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land wherever you are listening from today. I would also like to pay my respects to Elders past and present. One of the coolest things about living at this point in human history is that we are now able to visit other worlds. From rovers trundling over the rocky surface of Mars to probes in orbit around Jupiter and Saturn, we have the incredible opportunity to collect information about other planets. But to do this, scientists need to develop cutting-edge tools. A team at RMIT University in Melbourne has just developed a miniature radar device that will help us see below the surface of the Moon and Mars. We speak to one member of the research team today, Honorary Professor James McNay. Today's interview is hosted by Cosmos journalist Lauren Fuge. So James, tell me about the capabilities of this new radar device and what it might actually be able to see. Okay, on the Earth, it was developed um, to see minerals from mining companies. And they also needed it to be small so you could stick it on a drone or unmanned aircraft. So that was the original idea. But um, because it's small, it's ideal for space. And some of the things it can see is ice, for example, buried tunnels, minerals, all sorts of things. So anything that's underground, um, you've got a chance to see as long as it's different from its surroundings. Mm-hmm. So can you explain to me how the device actually works? Um, yes, it sends out an electromagnetic wave, just like a radio wave, except instead of being continuously running, it's pulsed, so it sends out blips. And these are reflected back. And um, just like weather radars work, for example, that you might see on your computer, which reflect off rain coming down in the sky, um, this, this works at a lower frequency and reflects, sort of penetrates the Earth and reflects off it and comes back and a very sensitive receiver sees it, mm-hmm. sees the reflection. Okay. So how does this work differently from other radar devices? Does it have an advantage over other radar devices? Definitely. Most radar devices use electric dipoles. And um, when you get to low frequencies, they have to be very big to be efficient. So at the 10 megahertz range, which you need to see quite deep into the earth, um, the size of the electric dipole antenna would have to be about 15 meters long. And 50 meters is pretty big, right? You need sort of a couple of them. And you obviously can't put them um, on a drone, you know, a small drone. They do use things that big in space, but only in orbiters. They can't use that on um, rovers or landers. So um, we replaced those electric dipoles with a magnetic sensor, which is very much smaller. And so um, serendipitously, it turned out to be much more sensitive too, and could actually see deep, much deeper than we expected. Cool. Okay. So I know you've just received a grant from the Australian Space Agency in order yeah. to further develop the prototype of this radar device. Tell me a bit about that initiative and what you're going to use the funding for. Okay. So because 
you're somewhat inexperienced in space, one of the first tasks we have to do is find the right people with the space knowledge as to how to space harden equipment so it's got a chance of actually working because it's very expensive to stick these things up in into space. You need to be sure they're going to work there, not just on the ground. So that's um, the first task. Um, the next task is we're trying to improve our transmitter. Um, it works, but it's not fully for the fully functional you might say so some of the funding's going to that then we need to test our gear over some lunar analogs one of the big problems on the moon if humans go there is all the micrometeorites coming down and solar um, charged particles the radiation from the sun and from the cosmos is actually dangerous long term plus during the day it gets up to boiling water temperatures on the moon, and at night it's minus 150. So you need good shelter, and one of the best ways of doing this is to use existing tunnels, which these lava tubes. So in Queensland, there's the Undara lava tubes, which are believed to be very similar to the ones that are seen on the moon. Like you obviously haven't seen them properly, but they've just seen evidence for them. So we're planning to, um, we're seeking permission to actually do some testing there to see how well our gear sees these tunnels to give us some idea of how well we can see it on the moon. The other thing we're doing with um, separate funding is we're planning to take the gear to Antarctica and use it for detecting crevasses and checking through glaciers. And that's going to be used as an analog for finding ice on the moon in some of the craters near the South Pole, for example, which have never seen the sun and believed to contain ice. If humans are going to inhabit the moon, if you need water, <laughs> it's much easier to just um, melt some up there than it is to haul it all the way from Earth. So that's, that's what the applications might be. That's very cool. I did not know that there were lava tubes on the moon. How do how did lava tubes like that even form? Is it through lava? It's just through lava and the gases that escape when volcanoes erupt. So there are examples on Earth, and the moon also has volcanoes from long, long ago. I mean, they're pretty dead now, unlike volcanoes on Earth. And uh, inside those... Well, on the Earth, we've seen quite a few of these lava tubes, of which the ones in Queensland are a great example. And on the Moon, they've seen collapsed lava tubes where they've got too close to surface and they've sort of fallen away. And they've seen sort of holes into what look, you know, which is likely to be lava tubes because they're in volcanic things. So anything that's hollow, the roof can always fall in. <laughs> so they've seen some features that look like fallen in roofs, so they think there are lava tubes there. So the idea of the radar would be to map these things out so you know how big they are, how deep they are, and uh, where they are for future missions. Do we even know how far below the surface they are? Um, to be useful, they have to be pretty close to surface. We're not going to... <laughs> okay. down yeah. 100 metres to find one. Um, Unfortunately, the closer they are to surface, the easier they are to find. Mm -hmm. yeah. So they're likely to be sort of tens of meters down and sort of tens of meters of just because the surface of the moon 
isn't flat. So there's quite a big slope. So if you find the start of a tube and you just head into it, the chances are you go underground, even if you, you know, without having to go down, just like river caves on, on Earth. Mm -hmm. So how would this radar device actually practically be used on the moon or on Mars? Would it need to be attached to like a rover or like a, a spacecraft or something? Yes, we can mm, potentially put one in an orbiter, uh, which is how they've discovered ice on Mars using conventional radars. Um, those don't get very high resolution, so you wouldn't be able to see tunnels with that, but you could certainly see ice. Uh, to see the tunnels, we're going to have to get quite a lot closer to the surface. So we'd probably attach it to a rover. So instead of having uh, tens of meters of antennas sticking out of the rover, we just need 30 centimeters. So our antenna is that big and um, pretty easy to attach to a small, a small rover. So obviously you're looking at analogs on Earth to figure out kind of what you can see on the Moon or on Mars, but what other work needs to be done before this radar device is ready to go to space? There's quite a bit of, um, of testing to make sure it works. Then because it actually emits a lot of electromagnetic radiation, we have to make sure it's compatible with the communication systems. There's no point in installing our device if it blows up the, um, the radio channel they use to talk to Earth. <laughs> so um, there's quite a lot of, of testing and sort of integration into existing payloads. Now, that's not going to happen in this first grant. What we're getting in this first grant is getting ready for that, getting our gear uh, ready to be integrated into um, something like a rover or a lander potentially getting to the moon in 2023 type of thing. So we've got a bit of time to get it ready. 2023 is still pretty close. That's a short timeline. Yes, particularly if we locked up most of the time, as seems to happen these days. <laughs> well, thank you so much for the chat, James, and good luck getting this radar device to the moon or to Mars. Thanks very much. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. Remember that you can head to cosmosmagazine.com via the link in the description for more great content. You can also subscribe to Cosmos Magazine, Australia's only science print magazine, and Cosmos Weekly, our online subscription-based deep dive into the biggest issues. You can watch and listen to all our Cosmos briefings via the link that you'll also find in the description. And remember... If you support science and its communication, please support our work at the Royal Institution of Australia. I'm Chuck Smeaton. Today's interview was hosted by Lauren Fuge, and our executive producer is Catherine Roberts. Thank you. <laughs>